Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a weekly podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and that didn't go the way we thought it was going to, did it? The Valparaiso basketball team tipped off the 2018-19 season, at least unofficially, with a exhibition contest against the University of Indianapolis, a decent, not world beater, but decent Division II program, and Valparaiso fell 60-57 to at the, at the Athletics Recreation Center on the nine-year anniversary of Valpo losing to U Indy in 2009. Uh, later on here in the podcast, I'm going to have Eric Bugs on, former Valpo basketball player who was on that team that fell to U Indy in 2009. He's going to talk a little bit about what it was like going in the locker room after that game and what that loss did for that program. If you if you remember back for for Valpo fans, that was the first game ever that Ryan Brokoff played at Valpo and. Corey Johnson, Brandon Wood, Tommy Kurth, Matt Kenny, that group, their first ever game. They came on, highly touted players coming in, a couple of transfers that looked really good, uh, maybe a Ryan Fazekas-esque player in Corey Johnson in terms of, you know, a, a, a guy that played high major coming in, um, you know, kind of a guy that bounced around a couple different schools, like a Brandon Wood, and you see in a Dion Lavender. Although the the skill sets are different, some highly touted freshmen coming in broke off Matt Kenny. Maybe you see Daniel Sackey, you see Javon Freeman Liberty, um, some you know younger guys that had been in the program for a year that were looking to make their mark, like an Eric Bugs or a Bakari Evelyn. A lot of kind of uh, and and coming off that team had been coming off the nine and twenty two season. Um, in the 08-09 season, and then, you know, the idea that, okay, kind of going to move forward here, going to be good, you know, moving now fully into the Horizon League, this team now moving fully into the Missouri Valley Conference, kind of a lot of parallels between that, and then Valpo goes out and and kind of laid an egg against the U-Indy, and, and we'll get to Eric Bugs here in a little bit to talk about that. Does a loss from nine years ago and what that team was able to kind of bounce back and do two weeks later, they went to North Carolina and played the Tar Heels tough. Um, does that make any of you feel better about what happened at the arc on Thursday night? Probably not. Um, you know, Matt Loddick after the game talking about how UND is a good program. They've, uh, they've competed very well. And then he started talking about other D2 teams that have beat D1 programs already this year. And a quick check of the Valpo message board, which is kind of a, a, a place to go to see the very fast-moving pulse of the fan base, uh, saw that uh, we're, you guys aren't buying those excuses. And that's fine. I, I don't know what Matt Loddick's supposed to say after a game like this. You know, do you want him to come out and do you want to be like, that was awful, that was embarrassing, those guys aren't going to wear the Valpo name on their chest at practice for the rest of the week? I mean, do you want him to say something like that? Or do you want him to to say, you know, look, we can move forward, we can get back to work? I mean, this is a long season. And and I think if a coach comes out day one and, and says that was awful, that was terrible, that was unacceptable and all of that publicly, I you know, what what's the benefit to gain from that? I think the players know that that was awful and that was unacceptable. Um, 
Do the fans need to be told that? Do the fans not know? I mean, the fans know it was awful and it was unacceptable, right? Uh, Matt Loddick spent probably a half hour in the locker room with the team before coming into the post-game media conference. It was probably the longest, I think, that Loddick has, has been uh, you know, in the locker room after the game before coming in. And, and I mean, my kingdom to be a fly on the wall in there to hear kind of what was said. And, uh, but he came in, you know, typically win or a loss players will come in and address the media. Exhibition games are always a little different. Um, you know, and, and, and they didn't bring any players in and, uh, and, and he was, you know, you, you can go to YouTube, you can go to valpoathletics.com. You can see the press conference and, listen to the wonderful questions that I tried to ask every question after a loss is a dumb question. Um, and, uh, you know, I, he didn't necessarily make excuses. He said he thought they got good shots. They just didn't fall. So I don't know if that's an excuse. That's just pointing out. They didn't fall. He did talk about Ryan physicus a little bit, a lot of pressure that Ryan might've been under first game jitters. And Ryan was, was not good. One of 11. And I wonder if it's a regular season game, does he is he even allowed to get to one for eleven? Do do you just kind of say you know it's not his night? Let's get him out of there. You know exhibition game. Do you keep him in? Uh, you know I maybe you know if it's a regular season game, do you figure let's uh, let's draw up a play for maybe a guy who's been hitting some shots and and really nobody was hitting shots. They were uh, they were three of nineteen from the three point line. Uh, Bakari and Ryan, both guys, 0 of 5 from 3. And really, at that point of the final, uh, of the final, uh, you know, Bakari took a shot there at the end of the game that, that fell short. And, and even that look, I actually give credit to Valpo for being able to get a good look. It's just he kind of short-armed the shot a little bit. You know, it's probably a little bit deeper than, than he wanted to be. But I, I actually thought Bakari did an excellent job of, of getting free and getting a shot opportunity at the end of the game, potentially uh, sending the game to overtime, which then at that point, you know, anything can happen. Um, I, look, I put on Twitter after the game the optimist view, the pessimist view, and then I, I hearkened to Matt Loddick's comments about reality and and his reality view was they lost a game that everybody thinks they should have won, and the reality is it doesn't count. And I liked what he said when he said, you know, we, we can we can uh, choose to let a game that didn't count define us, or we can get back to work. And uh, and you know what? With that, I want to bring in Eric Bugs right now because I want to I want you guys to hear from Eric Bugs what getting back to work maybe feels like or sounds like and and so here's eric bugs to talk about what happened uh nine years ago to the day that that valpo lost to you indy happy to be joined now by one of my all-time favorite valparaiso basketball players eric bugs eric thank you for joining uh kind of an interesting night last night at the athletics recreation center as uh as valpo uh, falls to University of Indianapolis. And Eric, the reason why I wanted to have you on is, uh, and I don't know if this is a proud distinction or not, but the, it was Valpo's first exhibition loss since November 1st, 2009. You were a sophomore and you guys played the University of Indianapolis. First of all, have you blocked that game out of your mind? Actually, first of all, hello. And second of all, have you blocked that game, that memory, that moment out of your mind? Um, I 
never even blocked it out. Uh, I remember the game vividly. It was my sophomore year. I want to say that was the year I was going into my – I ended up taking my red sh- my medical red shirt. But I remember approaching that game, and we kind of went in, and we knew the U of Indy was really good. They had a bunch of D1 transfers. It was probably one of the best NAI teams or D2 teams in the country. I know they were very well prepared, and and you always know that this is like the Super Bowl for those teams. They get a chance to get a crack at another Division One team, and if you're not prepared, if you're not prepared, if you're not going into it mentally mentally ready, think you know you you could take a loss and. That's what we did that night, and I just remember it. It was it was difficult. It was, it was kind of surreal feeling to kind of start off. You were coming off a real difficult year the previous season, going nine and twenty-two, and there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between. Uh, last year's team and maybe your freshman year at Valpo kind of you know move into a new league and and going through some struggles and everything like that then your sophomore year there was supposed to be kind of this like all right we we've grown up we've moved on um you know you brought in Corey and Brandon and Ryan and Tommy and Matt and all these young guys and and it's like okay this is a new era which is kind of the feeling around Valpo right now and then to start off with with a loss here, um, was that a hit to the pride or a hit to the ego a little bit? Kind of uh, going back in the locker room after losing to a Division two team. It definitely was. Uh, we came in, and I remember we were we prepared a we prepared really hard that summer, and we came in with kind of a air of confidence, and we took a hit. We took a hit hard, and. It kind of brought us back down to earth, but I think that's exactly what we needed as a team and as a program to kind of spark the next few years after that. I remember um, walking into the locker room afterwards, and it was complete silence. Guys weren't their normal, cheery selves. Uh, Guys were just kind of struck. And I distinctly remember walking in and seeing that look on, walking through the arc and just – looking at the fans' faces, and you could kind of tell that it was the look like, oh, no, (laughs) that previous year is still continuing with a new crop of guys. And it it was uh, was kind of – it was very tough, actually. Matt Loddick said last night after the game, you know, he, he said, we talked about reality. The reality is we lost a game we thought we should win, but the reality is it doesn't count. And then he said – we can choose to let a game that doesn't count define us, or we can get back to work. Uh, was it easier to get back to work after a game? I mean, think about this maybe from a player's perspective, and now you're a coach. You know, losing a game like that, does that does that make it real easy to run practice the next day? I think as a coach, it gives you a little added motivation for those guys. I can remember as a player – it was getting up the next morning. Uh, right after the game, actually, Coach Homer came in and he was kind of, he was optimistic. He was kind of echoing the same things that Coach Lock is telling his group this year. Hey, we took that hit, but we can bounce back. That game doesn't count, but it can define the rest of our year. Either we can 
let it make us or we can let it break us. And I remember Coach Bryce, he was he was livid. And that's probably the most upset I've seen Coach Bryce. And we had six o'clock practices the rest of that the rest of that week. And it was kind of a gut check for us. We got up those six o'clock practices. Guys were, you know, <laughs> drowsy in the morning and it really was a test of our character to see how well we were responding. That ignited a lot. That ignited a big fire in a lot of our guys. And we ended up having a, a pretty solid year that year. But for the young guys like myself and the Ryan Brokoff and the Matt, Matt Kennedy's Tommy Kirsch, it kind of set the stage for the oncoming years. And I think that's what we could see in this young group that we have and our Crusaders now. Two weeks, two weeks after you lost to Indianapolis, you went to North Carolina, the number four team in the country, and you lost by 11 points. Uh, you know, if, if you lose to U Indy, you're supposed to get blown out by North Carolina. Um, you know, I, I, I guess uh, I guess it was a learning experience. And, and you know, I, uh, there's a lot of Valpo fans right now, I guess, who are, uh, I mean, they're not happy, right? Like, yeah. I, you see yeah. the same looks on their faces last night that I think that people saw after that game nine years ago. Uh, if you had one message to the Valpo fans about, you know, what we, well, I guess what would you say in reaction to a game losing like this one? I would say the biggest thing as a fan that, that could happen is that they stay positive. I, Valpo is a very, very passionate town, especially about his basketball. And a lot of those guys, it's Valpo small. So those guys hear and they see everything. One of the things that I would, that I as a player took most pride in was that those fans were always embracing. And it helped fuel. We, we knew that the fans deserved better. And that's what we wanted to give. And that's what drove our enthusiasm with playing wanted to give that town and that community something better, something to show that we appreciate the support that they were giving us, even in our down years. Very good. Uh, Eric Bugs, Coach Eric Bugs, uh, getting excited for the upcoming season here. And uh, I know you've always been a big supporter of Valpo basketball, and uh, thank you for joining today. Great thoughts from Eric Bugs there. I've always appreciated Eric, and I had him on the podcast a couple times now, and he's always really got some good insight. Uh, a, a former player that's now become a coach, and I think he just kind of looks at things uh, through a bit of a different light, and I always have appreciated that. Look, I don't think there's anything I can tell you that's going to make you feel better about Valpo losing to a Division II program on their home court in the first game of what is supposed to be a bounce back or turn around or jump off year for the program. But there was some good to take away from the exhibition game. Notably, I would say the play of Derek Smith in the first half. Now, did Derek Smith score 13 points against U Indy because he was taller than everybody else? Or did Derek Smith score 13 points against U Indy because he was a little pissed that maybe he, he, for the lack of a better word, lost his starting spot. You know, Malik McMillan kind of usurped him there, uh, playing at the five or getting the start at the five, even with Jay Soroya out and Jay Soroya not in the building 
last night. Asked Matt Lodick about it, who simply just said he was out with an ankle injury. Um, plenty of injured players have come to games before, so not sure where unless Soroya has a night class or something like that where the idea is that he would, uh, you know, not come to the game and, you know, be a student athlete. Um, not sure what the uh, what the situation was there, but uh, he's certainly still on the team, just wasn't at the game in attendance last night. So uh, and, and when we asked about it, there was we, we got nothing. So um, so Smith's doesn't start. McMillan does. And. Smiths came in in the first half and played really well. And I, but then again, you, you say he's played really well offensively, but then Valpo got out rebounded by U Indy and Valpo was the only team with a seven footer on their roster. So how well did they really play? Uh, I thought the one spark, the one real nice piece of the game was Daniel Sackey's play in the second half. Now he came in in the first half, he came in with Valpo having a 10 to three lead and Ultimately, in the five minutes that he was in there, um, the they they lost six points of their lead. It went from ten to three to nineteen to eighteen, and uh, and Saki just really he didn't really do anything. Didn't take any shots, no assists, no steals, no anything. I think he had one foul in the first half, and that was it. And he checked back in the game with about eighteen minutes to go in the second half after the uh, the starters gave up a quick four points. Um, at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the the second half, Saki came in and really played a bulk of the minutes. He played 15 of the last 18 minutes in the second half. Um, Valpo played 12 different lineup combinations in the second half, and Saki was a part of 10 of those combinations. I've and I'll, I'll dive into the lineups here in a little bit, but I thought Saki's speed was great. Now. The more D1 competition they play, the faster the other guys are going to be. But I thought Saki really showed uh, a special spark, and I thought he got the crowd going. He he got the energy lifted there, and he 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 looked like he looked like the guy that Valpo needed last year when you needed a spark. But you can provide the spark, but they also needed somebody else to then step up as well. And with Bakari missing five three-pointers last night, Ryan Fizikas really struggling last night, and and Javon Freeman doing a little, Javon Freeman-Liberty. I don't know if it's Freeman or Freeman-Liberty because he told me Freeman-Liberty, the school is going with Freeman. I'm confused. Uh, but Javon Freeman-Liberty did a lot of little things really well in the first half. And then I thought it was interesting that down the stretch of the game, he was on the bench. And this is a guy that you think is supposed to be the uh, – you know, the next big thing. And even when the game was, was kind of on the line there with uh, with four minutes left in the game, Freeman came out, didn't come back in until after Golder had fouled out for the final play of the game. Um, so that was that was interesting. Uh, so I thought that Daniel Sackey played really well in the second half, and I thought that that, that was something for him to be able to build on. Look, I, I looked at the optimist-pessimist view. I looked at both of those things, and the optimist in, in me would tell you that— I mean, look, I think it's really easy to look at the pessimist, right? They lost. They lost a game they should have won. Where do they go from here? You know, everything that plagued this offense last year was on display last night. A lot of dribbling around, not a lot of, uh, you know, 
uh, some poor three-point shooting, all of that. But the optimist in me says, what's the point of an exhibition game if you're not going to learn anything from it? And what's the po- what's the point of an exhibition game? Like Valpo's going to open against Concordia on Tuesday in the regular season and probably beat them by 30. And I say that because Concordia is not U Indy. I'd have been shocked if Valpo to beat U Indy by 30. But even if Valpo had beat U Indy by 30, what's the what 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 good is it? Right? The same mentality that that Valpo fans have with U Indy is the same mentality that Purdue fans have with Valpo. What's the point of beating a team by 30? What do you learn from it? You play these games, and but but if, if Valpo were to go beat Purdue, that that fan base would be apoplectic. Cer- certainly, what Valpo's fan base is today with losing to U Indy, it's different because different levels of basketball and all that. Fine, sure, all of that. But to me, Valpo was able to learn some things last night. Baptism by fire, call it what it is. It's not the destination; it's the journey. However, you want to go about it. Valpo was able to learn some things last night. Saki was able to was able to get some big minutes as a point guard with the game on the line. Look, they've already they've already been through this now. Now they lost, and that that hurts them. But I mean, it hurts them pride. It doesn't hurt anything else. Not a score. You know, it doesn't hurt the win loss column. But now Saki can can. I'm just using him as an example. Saki now can can think about that. He's gone through this, right? Javon Freeman Liberty has gone through this. Fazekas has had a terrible shooting day. What did they do now to get over the hump? What, what, and, and again, no one really saw it last night, you know, like, okay, what does Valpo do if Fazekas is having a bad shooting night? Well, he tried to shoot through it. He's not going to miss 10 shots very often. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to miss 10 of 11 shots very often. He could go 10 of 20 from the floor, but he's not going to go one of 11 very often, right? So I, I just I feel like at least Valpo was able to go through the fire. And they may have come out burnt to a crisp on the other side, but they went through the fire, right? I don't want to sound like the rah-rah coach speak guy that says iron sharpens iron and all of that, but like at least Valpo got something out of this exhibition game. If I'm a coach... I'd much rather have a learning teachable moment come out of one of these exhibition games than have a 25-point blowout victory where Langston Stalling is playing 17 minutes in the second half. And no disrespect to Langston, right? I'm just saying the walk-on. So for me, you got to turn a negative into a positive. And for me, I think if you're a Valpo fan, you look at this and say, there, there's some good that can come out of this. Now, the good is not that they lost. The good is how do you take that loss? And I think you got Eric Bugg saying that a little bit. It was a springboard for them to kind of go forward. Now, it was a springboard for Eric Buggs and Ryan Brokoff and Matt Kenny in that group because that was a special group of players. If this is not a springboard for this group, well, then I think that tells you what you need to know about this group of players. But I think it will be. I think it will be a springboard for this group. As Matt Lodick said in the press conference after the game, if this hasn't gotten their attention, they don't have a pulse. And so we'll see what getting their attention means, right? I'm sure practice was a bear today. I'm sure practice will be tough over the weekend. And I'm sure it'll be gut check time, 
going into Tuesday, right? It's, and, and the thing that I'll say about this is that losing to a D2 in 2009 was tough, but that was hardly the social media era, right? And so, I mean, these guys are probably hearing this from everybody right now. And how are they going to respond to that? Uh, quick look here. I, I want to. I tried to do my best with this, um, trying to construct the lineups. Um, I was doing this during the game. I was I was monitoring the lineups that they would. I, I just thought it was interesting to see what kind of lineup combinations were being played. Um, I've I've I probably have made some errors in this. I've done my level best to to figure out um, what had happened, but. Uh, they played 12 lineup combinations in the first half and 12 lineup combinations in the second half. And I think I might have missed like one or two where like a player checked in for like five seconds and then another player checked in like after a free throw or something like that. So, but, but for the bulk of time, um, they played uh, 12 lineup combinations in the first half, 12 lineup combinations in the second half. Um, the starters, Lavender, Evelyn, Freeman Liberty, Fazekas, and McMillan played had two different runs together in the first half, two different runs together in the second half. They played a total of about seven minutes with each other, and I think they didn't score a point. That five on the court didn't score a point until about seven minutes left in the game when Ryan Fazika scored and then Malik McMillan scored right after that. Uh, they finished with a plus-minus of minus one because they gave up um, – they gave up, you know, four quick points to start the second half. And so they were the only lineup that actually played more than – had more than two runs with each other. The only other lineup that actually played together twice was in the first half. Um, we had uh, Evelyn, Freeman Liberty, Golder, Fazekas, and Smits played uh, a about three and a half minutes together in the first half over a stretch of two different times, and they were plus five. There was another group, a Lavender, Evelyn, Freeman, Fazekas, and Smith. So take McMillan out, put Smith in. They played once together in the first half, once together in the second half, and they actually combined for minus five. Uh, they played about two minutes total with each other. The rest of the lineups were all one-off lineups. And as a matter of fact, there there was really no crossover between the first half and second half in terms of lineup construction. So the reason I bring this up is because it was, they were throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall last night to see what would stick. And the starters played about seven minutes with each other. The next group that had the longest run with each other was that, that group of Evelyn Freeman, Liberty, Golder, Fazekas, and Smiths. So basically putting, Golder in Smiths in there instead of uh, instead of uh, Lavender and McMillan. Another group that got a lot of run was uh, Saki, Freeman, Liberty, Golder, Fazekas, and Smiths. They were the lineup kind of down the stretch of the game a little bit there. McMillan was also in there for for a group uh, for a time there. Um, the lineup that had the best plus minus was Saki, Evelyn. Kaiser, Golder, and McMillan, they were plus six. Uh, they played about two minutes and 20 seconds together. And then that Evelyn, Freeman, Liberty, Golder, Fazika, Smith's lineup, three and a half. I'm just rattling off names now. This is probably kind of maybe coming off as a little boring, but kind of fascinating to see how the lineups kind of work together, who played with who and all of that. And, uh, and so Lavender, Saki, and Evelyn were the point guards for most of the time. Um, McMillan or Smiths were 
exclusively the fives. There was the final possession of the game where Kaiser came in, and he was probably the, the five if there was one there. Fizikas and Golder and Kaiser played the four. Freeman and Golder and you know Kaiser at times played the three, and then Evelyn and Lavender and Freeman, uh, Freeman Liberty played the two. So that was kind of the way that I saw the positions on the court. They might have moved around a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I'll try to chart these for the first couple of games and see what uh, if, if they play more lineups, less lineups, how that's going to work. And, and so as it stands now, it looked like about 12 lineup combinations in the first half, 12 lineup combinations in the second half. Um, okay, there's not a lot else to say about the game last night uh it'll be interesting to see how they pick themselves up um as we move toward tuesday night and uh valpo we're going to open against concordia chicago should be a uh, should be a blowout victory um again concordia chicago is not you indy uh you play those exhibition games for a reason and and valpo you know they won their game against uic in a close scrimmage they've lost their game against you indy um so I guess we'll see what happens. What I want to do right now, and, and I want to, I just want to kind of explain something here, and maybe should have done this at the top. Uh, I've uh, I've been a reporter, uh, freelance reporter for the Northwest Indiana Times since the 2005 uh, is when I when I came back. I, I I went to Valpo, as many of you know, graduated in 2002, covered those Lubosch Barton teams for a long time, and. Uh, really kind of enjoy it. I got here right after the Sweet 16 and, and covered that, the Young Guns group, and and then left and came back in 05 and started writing for the Times. I, I teach journalism, as, as many of you know. I don't often talk about that. It is a bit of a conflict, but uh, I, I also make sure that, you know, integrity and honesty and eth- ethical behavior is always important and all of that. So um, I've often said if Valpo wins, great. If they lose, doesn't matter got to write stories, got to do the job. So that said, uh, I've been a reporter for the Times for, you know, freelance reporter dating back to 2005. Um, I've worked with some great editors over the time, Greg Smith, Hillary Smith, um, a lot of others, you know, have kind of come and, and gone over time. Um, got a new sports editor in, in March or April, uh, Ryan Nelson has come in. It's kind of changed a, a little bit of the way that we go about things, which has been kind of fun and exciting, a new way to tell stories and, uh, and all of that. Um, I, uh, I didn't start off as the Valpo beat reporter, but as, uh, you know, more and more, uh, people came and went, um, you know, I've, I've kind of made known that that was my love and what I really enjoyed doing. And uh, ultimately, the Times editors back in the day gave me the ability to to cover the team. And uh, it's something I truly love. Um, it's also not the most financially solvent idea. Um, a freelance correspondent gets paid per story. Uh, a full-time staffer doesn't. <laughs> um, so... Uh, however you want to take that, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to cover the team for a long, long time. Um, and mainly because most of the full-time reporters that have uh, have covered the team, or that most of the full-time reporters we've had at the Times, were really interested in doing preps and covering high school sports and all of that. They're from the area. They loved it. A lot of those people have moved on. 
and we wish them well in their future endeavors. Uh, been blessed to have two new guys join the Times uh, recently. Uh, James Boyd, who has been working out of Lake County and doing some really good stuff out there. And then uh, Robbie Weinstein has joined um guy with a, a big college basketball background um, and, and somebody who's come in and and uh, and he's going to be covering VU basketball as well, in addition to me. And and this has always kind of been the way it's been done. Um, and maybe I'm talking to inside baseball here. Maybe the editors will be like, what is he rambling on about? But I just I want to give people keep asking what's going on with with the times, what's going on with VU and and at least wanted to, to give you a little bit of a background. So, uh, you know, Paul Jankowski used to cover the team. David Robb used to cover the team. And I would kind of supplement all of that. And, um, you know, as time went on, probably about nine, ten years ago, you know, David moved on, and uh, and and here, you know, Paul Jankowski kind of moved on, and he's still in the area, still goes to games. Hair hasn't moved, and uh, and we, uh, you know, I started covering the team kind of exclusively, and but I think it's always good when you can kind of have a couple different voices that are out there that are that are covering it and and looking at things from a little bit of a different perspective. So, um, Robbie is going to be covering Valpo as well. And uh, I've had a chance to get to know him recently. He's fantastic. Uh, he's got a really, you know, he's really excited to be in the area. And I wanted to bring Robbie on the podcast so you guys could could kind of hear from him a little bit. And I suppose, you know, I've so many times people have been, what's going on with VU? Are you covering the team? Well, you know, yes, uh, yeah, I'm here. And uh, Robbie's here too, and it's going to be great and exciting to have him um as I look, I don't need to give my blessing to Robbie or anything like that, but enough people have been asking what's going on, and I think Robbie's fantastic, and I wanted to have him on. So uh, here's Robbie. Good chance for you guys to kind of hear from him a little bit and some of the fun background that he's got. You'll still see me at the Ark. I'm still covering the team. I'll still be doing Union Street Hoops. I'm still on Twitter. I'm still writing stories. We had a great story a couple uh couple days ago about Mark LaBarbera and the facilities from the ARC. Um, you're still going to see my name in the paper. I'm still going to be around. Um, I'm still going to cheer for the Packers to beat the Bears. Uh, so there you go. I uh, hope that clears up any uh, any thoughts of what's going on. So, you know, give us a listen. Give us a click. Give us a retweet. Give us a favorite. Give us a subscription. Whatever it is that you can do, that'd be fantastic. So here's Robbie Weinstein and uh, going to you know, hope that you uh, you really take to him and give him a follow on uh, on Twitter. It's R W W Weinstein, I think it is, um, and uh, and and we'll go from there. So, see you guys next week. Hope you uh, kind of take this you indie hangover, okay? And uh, we'll see you on Tuesday night. Here's Robbie. Thrilled to have on the podcast right now, Northwest Indiana Times reporter Robbie Weinstein. Robbie, thanks for joining. You're relatively new to the area. I guess uh, I wanted to bring you on because you're going to be covering some Valpo basketball. You've been covering a lot of sports in the area. I, I guess uh, I wanted to give the, the listeners an opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about you. And, and I guess, first of all, welcome to Union Street Hoops and welcome to Northwest Indiana. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Paul. I've really uh, one of the big ways that I've kind of caught up and learned more about Valpo has been uh, has been actually listening to the podcast. And so I, I've definitely learned a lot from that. Uh, and I'm really excited to to follow this team the rest of the year, and it should be really fun. The second year in the Missouri Valley Conference, you've uh, you've got an interesting background in that uh, you have a little bit of a connection to Valpo, in that you did your undergrad work at Vanderbilt. In your final year at Vanderbilt, was Bryce Drew's first year 
at or with the Commodores, what uh, did you cover the team a little bit, and, and kind of what were your impressions of of the Bryce Drew, Roger Powell, Jake Dealer crew that's down there? Yeah, I, I did cover the team. At that point, I was the student, or I, I was the sports editor for the student newspaper, and so I also kind of functioned as our uh, de facto beat writer for the men's basketball team there. Uh, and so I, I was around the team a fair amount. It was, you know, honestly, the season, that season did not start out well. And so then it ended up, I think I was really impressed by Coach Drew and, and the rest of the staff by how they were able to pull the team together. Uh, the team started, I think they were under 500 in like January and then made this great run to sneak into the NCAA tournament. And certainly you can debate whether a, a team with that record, I think they were 19 and 15 or something like that, should be able to get into the NCAA tournament at all, much less get a nine seed. But by the end of the year, they were playing great basketball and and were probably one of the top 30 or so teams in the country just looking at the end of the year. And so it was very impressive to see how Coach Drew turned that around from the beginning of the season where they really just did not look very good at all. So maybe last year was was a down year for them, but uh, certainly Coach Drew showed a lot of promise in in that first year. And uh, knowing what he did at Valpo, I I think that a lot of Vanderbilt fans certainly are are excited for the future. And so it was always good interacting with Coach Drew. He was really friendly. And I know that the players really liked him. And and really, um, I think the transition from Kevin Stallings, especially going to the NCAA tournament again in that first season with Coach Drew, has gone pretty smoothly overall. And then Vanderbilt two years ago goes to the NCAA tournament, loses to Northwestern, and then yeah. you go and then you go to Northwestern. Was that like a deal? Like you were going to wherever whoever Vanderbilt lost to, or, or kind of what took you to Northwestern? Uh, yeah, the, um, that was a funny coincidence because I, you know, I can't remember if I had already decided to go there by the time they even played in the NCAA tournament or not, but. Vanderbilt doesn't have any, it doesn't have a journalism school, it doesn't have any journalism classes, and so I decided I, a, a year of grad school at a journalism school might be a good idea for me, and, and that was one of the places that I looked at and ended up going there. So definitely I arrived at Northwestern and got some, you know, I had to absorb some smack talk from some of my classmates once they realized uh, the connection and that I, I went to Vanderbilt because I was only a few minutes after that NCAA tournament game. But a few of my friends from Vanderbilt do joke that there was that, you know, I was the reporter to be named later in the Bryce Drew trade from uh, Valpo <laughs> to, to Vanderbilt, if you want to look at it that way. That's well. fair. That's fair. And what uh, and, and what brings you to Northwest Indiana? I guess what uh, what kind of stories do you want to tell while you're here? Sure. Uh, I'll be doing a mix of high school sports and Valpo. Probably mostly high school, but you know, now that now that the basketball season has started, certainly the Valparaiso coverage will ramp up. Uh, I, I think I've been doing a lot of feature stories, kind of telling stories that, that can appeal to everyone and finding uh, you, you know, unique viewpoints about and u- unique situations with some of these athletes across the region. I think the thing is, in a region that cares so much about, about both prep sports and then in Valpo, when you look at the kind of the passion of the Valparaiso fan base there, there's... You know, people really want to read about these people, and everybody has a unique and interesting story. And so I think basically telling what what makes these people individual athletes or or teams or whatever interesting and different is basically what what I'm geared toward. A lot of feature writing, but also certainly for Valpo, there will be uh, game coverage 
and, and basic beat coverage involved as well, which which obviously you'll you'll uh, be great to lean on for all of that, since uh, you'll also uh, uh, be be involved in all of that, and and definitely it's great to get a lot of the historical background and everything from from talking to you. And there's been great analytics stuff that you had in the first uh, big piece that you did about uh, the turnovers. And, and turnovers really weren't the problem last night for Valpo in the uh, yeah. in the exhibition loss. It was more bad shooting, but I'm sure that will be looked at as well. Um, Robbie, welcome. Not sure you signed up to cover a team that lost to a Division II program in the exhibition opener, but uh, excited to have you on board and looking forward to reading more stories and, and having you more involved as the time goes on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul.